before we get started, I want to make one more really exciting announcement. I am really, really close to being ready and able to announce our speaker for our women's conference this year. I'm like a few days away from being ready and able to announce that, but I want you to be so excited because I truly am. Um, I told Tara I really have no idea how to do any of this at all, and I was already starting to feel really stressed about it and just, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to give this to her. She'll know what to do. I, can, I don't know what to do. And I sent one email and then I gave up, <laughs> so, <laughs> truth be told. Um, and, but I actually got a response, and it was a very exciting response. And so I've been able to have a couple of conversations since then, and uh, we are really close to being able to move forward. And so I think next month I'll be ready to announce that to you. But go ahead and mark your calendar, because our conference will be May 31st. It's Friday night, May 31st, so it's after graduations, hopefully before everybody runs off on summer vacations, um, and I want you to, to be excited and be in prayer for that, um, even now. I know it's early, but um, you know every other year our tradition has been to do an in-house conference and then um, a speaker the following year. So the year coming up is our year for a speaker, and I could not be more excited um, about the doors that God is opening with regards to that. So I wanted to plant that seed. Tonight, um, our lesson is titled, Better Than Jewels, Walking in Wisdom. So I kind of, uh, the song came to my mind. Have you heard the line? It, it is a song, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Okay, so we've all heard that, right? But have you actually heard this song? Don't listen to it. It's terrible. I Googled the lyrics because I thought, oh, that could be a catchy little, you know, intro. It's not. It's a terrible song. Don't Google it. Um, so we're not going to use that. <laughs> but it did make me think about, you know, we're talking about womanhood and, and what, it's, what, it, what that means. And um, I do think that a lot of women do like shiny things, right? I think sometimes that can come along with the territory. Um, does anyone in here know what the most valuable and expensive piece of um, or gem is in the world? I guess you could say piece of jewelry. It's a specific, there's a specific, yes, say that again, Miss Laura. Miss Ruby, what is it? I heard it. I heard it. I thought it was you. Oh, it's not Miss Ruby. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so close. The Hope Diamond. Yes. Who said? Who knew that answer? Give her some M and M's. Y'all share with her. It is. It's the Hope Diamond. Very good. It's worth. $250 million, and the Hope Diamond's history goes back to the 17th century. It's an enormous stone. You should Google it. It's beautiful. You should look, you should look that up. Um, it was originally 112 carats and has been cut and recut, and now it's over 45 carats, and it has had multiple famous owners over the years, and it's located in the Smithsonian. Now, has anyone seen the Hope Diamond? I figured someone had, yeah, and it's, 
It's like, how big? Like, show us with your hands. Yeah. It's hard to really imagine, yeah, based on the pictures online. Yeah, 112 to 45. So you may also own jewelry or, or things that are special to you, valuable to you. Or maybe, um, like me, you have pieces of jewelry that are precious to you, but maybe aren't necessarily, you know, worth a lot of money necessarily. Um, my wedding ring is really special to me. It's a combination of my great-grandmother's wedding set and my mother's adopted mother's wedding set. And she passed away when my mom was 13. And so it's, it's really special. It's combined. And my sweet sister-in-law ha actually has a piece of this set, too, that she wears. It was her engagement ring. And so, y'all, I'd, like, I'd rather have this all day than the Hope Diamond, right? I don't know how much it's worth, but it really doesn't matter because it's invaluable to me. And you may also have um, treasures like that that mean so much to you and, and are worth so much. Um, in studying the basics of biblical womanhood, I believe the most valuable possession that we can have and the foundation for building a God-honoring life is wisdom. And I believe that because that's what the scripture tells us, actually over and over. And we're going to see examples in scripture tonight from both the Old Testament and the New Testament that, um, that affirm that. So if you will start, you probably already know where we're going to start. Where do you think we're going to start? Take a guess. You all are so smart. We need M&Ms for everyone, Janie. <laughs> Proverbs. Proverbs uh, chapter 8. And if you'll find Proverbs 8 and 9, and then just kind of keep your finger there, keep a, keep a little tab there, we'll kind of be referring back to this section throughout the night. But Proverbs 8, verses 9 and 10, affirms what, what I kind of mentioned earlier. It says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. You know, that may be hard for a person who is separated from Christ, outside of Christ, to truly understand, because what does our society teach about money and riches and wealth? It solves everything, right? But let me ask you a question. When you are truly at the bottom of your barrel and you are truly, um, you know, your well has run dry and you are out of options, when you don't know what else to do or where to turn next, when there really is no physical hope for the situation that you're in, and I, I say this because I know that many of you in this room have been to that point, some of you multiple times over the course of your life, when you're in those situations and what you are facing is absolutely unbearable, which would you rather have? The hope diamond or true hope and life and wisdom and grace? So we are going to be um, focused on, on Proverbs tonight, but I want to actually start in Job. So if you'll turn to Job, we're going to be in Job chapter 28, 
And as you know, while you're turning there, Job 28, the context of Job is just that, right? Job is literally at the bottom of his barrel. He has lost everything and everyone. Job was a good man who was highly favored by God, and yet Job's life was filled with anguish and loss. And his friends and even his wife encouraged him to just curse God in his misery. But Job resolves to trust God and in the end to worship him. And so in chapter 28, we find Job searching and seeking desperately for wisdom in his misery. And so we're going to begin in verse 12. And here we find out how valuable wisdom really is when you're at that place where your well has run dry. And we find out where we can find wisdom and what exactly wisdom is. So Job 28, verse 12 is where we'll begin reading. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed at its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onks or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. I think he, I think he made the point, don't you? <laughs> From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So where do we start in our pursuit of wisdom? The fear of God, which ultimately will result in the love of God and a hatred and a turning away of sin. As women, God has called each of us to various circumstances and various roles and responsibilities within these different realms that he's placed us. And we talked some about that last month. And in considering these many different roles um, that we live out and that we've been called to live out, just think about how different the world would be if women in all these different areas were wise instead of foolish. Well, what's the difference? What does that look like? 
this is where we're going to go to the book of Proverbs. So if you'll flip back to Proverbs, we're going to see the description of foolish women and the description of wise women. There are two women in Proverbs chapter 9 that kind of summarize the first eight chapters of the book of Proverbs. And we are going to refer to these women as Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. Each of these women issue an invitation tonight, but the outcome of their invitation is very different. So if you'll start uh, in chapter 9 of Proverbs, beginning in verse 1, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Does that sound familiar? And the knowledge of the Holy One is in sight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you will alone bear it. So let's summarize some of the qualities of Lady Wisdom in this section. She is portrayed as a homemaker right? She's responsible. She's industrious, both in the big picture. She's built a house, a big house with seven pillars. I feel like that's probably a pretty decent house. I don't know. I don't know a lot of houses around here that have seven pillars, maybe four, but she's uh, industrious in the big picture, industrious in the little details of life, all the way down to setting her table. She's creating an atmosphere in her home that's conducive to helping people who come into her home learn wisdom. And you'll see as we continue that both wisdom and folly are issuing an invitation to the same group of people. The simple, the naive, the gullible, those who lack judgment and lack sense. But Lady Wisdom is intentional in this, isn't she? She's earnest and calling out. She calls out from the highest places in the town. So wisdom can easily be seen and heard by all. If you don't have wisdom, it's not because it's not available. It's because you haven't been looking for it, or you've seen it, and you haven't responded to it. You've rejected it, because wisdom is available. She calls out from where? The highest places in the town. And what does she say when she calls out? Look at verse 5. What does she say? Come eat my food. Come eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. 
What does that remind you of? It's the, yeah, it's the gospel invitation that you see throughout Scripture of Christ saying, come to me. We read it in Isaiah 55.1, which describes the compassion of the Lord. It says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. We read it in John chapter 7, where Jesus stands up at the last day and tells about rivers of living water. In verse 37, John 7.37, if you're taking notes, he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. In Revelation 22.17, the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, if you're needy, Christ calls and he says, come to me. And Christ is the wisdom of God. He says, come eat of my bread and drink of the wine that I've mixed. And that does remind us of the Lord's Supper, doesn't it? Of the Lord's table. Christ invites us to come, to partake of himself, to partake of him as our wisdom. And when we take of the Lord's Supper and we take of his body and his blood symbolically represented by the bread and the wine, he is saying to us, come, eat of me, come drink of me, come partake of me, take my wisdom. Colossians 2 tells us that in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That's Colossians 2 verse 3. So everything we will ever know about wisdom and knowledge is ultimately found in who? In Christ. I want you to turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage from the New Testament. I want to be sure that everything points to Christ. I want to be sure that we, we don't miss that, that in our pursuit of wisdom, that we aren't missing what's most important. And that is that Christ is the wisdom of God. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 18. This is where Paul explains to the church in Corinth exactly what I, I just said for emphasis, that Christ is the wisdom and power of God. So 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, what? Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. Isn't it so comforting to know that we really can't and don't muster up our own strength or our own wisdom? So back to Proverbs chapter 9, verse 6. Lady Wisdom says, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And that's the gospel message. That's the gospel invitation. Come, eat of my bread. Come, drink of the wine I've mixed. Come to me. Come to Christ. Do you want wisdom? It means you've got to come to Christ for that wisdom. And in order to come to him, we have to leave our foolish ways and repent. And that's how we will live. As we come to the last paragraph of Proverbs chapter 9, we're going to look now at verses 13 to 18 and see an entirely different kind of woman and an entirely different way of living. So let's begin in verse 13. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is Lady Folly. The woman Folly is loud, seductive, and full of simpleness. She knows nothing. This woman is a wayward woman. Lady Folly is just like the people she's appealing to. She's simple, she's naive, she's gullible, she's ignorant, just like the guests she's trying to lure into her trap. In verse 14, we read, she sits at the door of her house. So she too has a house. 
I don't know that it has seven pillars because it's not mentioned there. That's not how I'm picturing it. But she's using her house for very different purposes than Lady Wisdom, right? Notice that Lady Wisdom, in earlier parts of Proverbs, she stands. She goes out into the places of the city to call for the foolish people. What does Lady Folly do? She sits. She calls out to people who are going one direction, and she's trying to lure them into coming off of this path, off of this main road, into her house. Like Lady Wisdom, Lady Folly is intentional about trying to draw those who are simple. But in verse 16, what does Lady Folly say? The same thing that Lady Wisdom says initially, right? Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, but now we come to verse 17 where her message is very different here than Lady Wisdom's. What does Lady Folly say in verse 17? Yes, I think you should say it just like that. I think there's, <laughs> can't you hear her voice? It says, it's, it's alluring, right? Stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. I have something good for you, she says. And she tempts the ignorant, gullible, naive, foolish passerbys and calls out to them to commit sin to indulge in their flesh, but she offers this temporary thrill, this delight. Stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Does that make you think of any other tempter in Scripture? From Genesis chapter what? Three. The serpent said to the woman, see that fruit? See that tree? It's appealing to the eyes. It's desirable to make one what? Wise. If you taste that, yes, I know God said don't. But if you do, you'll become like God. You'll be able to discern for yourself what is good and what is evil. You'll be able to decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. You do you, boo. <laughs> I just added that. <laughs> he held this out, and when the woman saw that it was appealing, it was attractive, it was a tree to be desired and to make one wise, it didn't look evil. It wasn't crawling with worms. Lady Folly makes foolishness also look very attractive, doesn't she? But in verse 18, this young man who listens to her does not know that the dead are there. Where? Where are the dead? Up in her house, where she's inviting them to come. The dead are there. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Y'all, these people think they're coming to a feast, but in reality, they're going to a funeral. And that's what sin does. 
That's what foolishness does. Lady Wisdom, by contrast, calls people to a way that is hard. She says, leave your foolish ways. That's hard. That's hard when you're surrounded by foolishness. That's hard when you've done built a house of foolishness. It's hard when that's all you see and all you know. But in the end, it's the way that offers long-term and eternal blessings. It's the ultimate contrast. The end of Lady Wisdom's invitation is life. Turn from your foolish ways and what? Live. The result of Lady Folly's invitation is what? It's death. So there are three practical applications that I hope we can take away tonight from just really looking at um, these examples in Scripture of wisdom and folly. And first of all, as godly women, we must make it our goal to be wise. Like, we need to be intentional about that. And we also must remember that becoming wise is a lifelong process. We won't be as wise as we should be until we see the Lord. But we can incline our heart toward God. We can incline our ear and our attitude toward God. We can incline our hearts toward his wisdom. We can develop a heart attitude, a lifestyle that is always striving to listen to God, as if we're on the edge of our seat, waiting and expecting, God, what are you doing in this? What are you saying through this? Expecting him to be working in and through it all. Number two, and you may think that this really isn't profound. Like, I mean, none of this truly is. Um, but it actually is really crucial. And honestly, for me, it's the hardest thing to do a lot of times in the midst of trials and temptations. And that's to ask God for wisdom. Pray for it. Lord, please give us wisdom. And I do think that God loves for us to be in a place where we don't know what to do and, and where we can't handle things on our own. And I, I think that scripture teaches that we are to trust in his strength in our weakness. I think the scripture that we just read also affirms that, that Wisdom can be found nowhere in this earth and truly in no person who thinks he's wise. And um, I know we've, I know, I know we've all been there. I feel like we each could give testimony of being in that place. And I've been there just this past week, actually. And I've cried those very exact words because I've told y'all already the reason I have to teach this lesson is because I'm the most hard-headed one in the room. And God says you can't just listen and you can't just read it. You have to learn it like in 4D. 
Like, you're going to experience it, and you're going to learn it, and you're going to have to teach it so you know it through and through because you are that stubborn and hard-hearted. And this very week, um, I can tell you that I was in a place where I was not, I, I did not care to, to cry to God for wisdom. I felt completely hopeless. <laughs> I was <laughs> um, completely alone. Completely, um, I'd given up, was ready to quit all the things. <laughs> and my immediate reaction was not to seek wisdom from God because I didn't feel like praying. I felt like crying and giving up. And in the meantime, um, thankfully, I was able to text a friend to just say, will you pray for me? And she didn't ask questions, and she didn't cast judgment. She just did. She prayed. And I know that she prayed because eventually I was also able to pray. And um, there are many of you in this room who are much, much stronger in your faith than I am. Um, and I need you, and I look up to you, and I admire your faith and your, your strength, um, that God gives you through the hardships that you've gone through. And I think that that's why we need one another so desperately. Because sometimes praying for wisdom in the moment, in the trial, is not what naturally comes to us. And so um, I know, like I said, it, it doesn't seem profound but asking God to give us the strength and the wisdom that we truly have to submit and understand that only he can provide through that is how we access that power of God to be able to get up and take the next step and do the next thing and try again. God desires for us to ask for wisdom. And the scripture talks about calling out for wisdom, raising your voice, we call out to God for wisdom for two reasons. First of all, because God is wise, right? God has all wisdom. He created the earth by wisdom. We read that in Job. Proverbs 13, 3, 19 also tells us, The Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel and excellent in wisdom. Romans eleven thirty three and 34 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? God knows everything. So when we ask him for wisdom, we're acknowledging that we don't. And that takes humility. And that takes brokenness. And that is where God desires for us to be, to work in our hearts and in our lives. We need to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I acknowledge my need. I need you. Please give me wisdom. We are finite. And for some of us who are type AA, that is not... <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, it just doesn't sit well. 
all the time. And asking God for his wisdom is an expression of humility and dependence on him. We ask him because he is wise, and then because not only is he wise, but this is so beautiful to me, he has promised to give wisdom to those who ask. He's not just a wise God who sits on a throne and mocks everyone who's less wise than he is. He's a God who is wise and who freely offers his wisdom to us in our brokenness and in our weakness. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So number one, make it your goal to gain wisdom. Like we need to be intentionally planning. I'm going to be a wise old lady one day. Like that needs to be a life goal. Number two, ask God for wisdom. And number three, make sure that you look to scripture to find that wisdom. Because God has revealed his heart, his ways, and his word. Where? In the word of God, in scripture. And walking worthy of our calling as women of the word means that we turn to the word as we walk, right? Psalm 19.7 says, The law of the Lord makes wise the simple. And Psalm 119 verse 98 says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. We have to ask God for wisdom because we can't see what he sees, right? We see this much. We have to ask him to help us see life as he sees it. Should we answer that? Oh, sorry, I thought it was like a landline. <laughs> I was like, that must be important. <laughs> Nobody calls on the landline. Wisdom is living life with the recognition that my life revolves around God as the earth revolves around the sun. And wisdom is always asking the question, what pleases God? It's realizing that every choice, every action has consequences. Life is hard. And I, I don't think we should always gather and dwell on that. But I also don't think we should always gather and ignore that. We live in a broken, fallen messed up world and we we do get hurt and we do get wounded and there's no perfection in the here and now because this is not heaven yet sometimes our circumstances are direct consequences of our sin or of someone else's sin and sometimes our situations or circumstances 
are not because of wrong choices we've made, like Job, who we started with, but they're a result of God's sovereign providence and plan for our lives. And either way, we must have the same response. We must run to God for grace, to accept his sovereignty, and for his grace to go along with whatever that is. He gives us the choice, though, and the opportunity to share his wisdom. And that is more valuable than the most expensive jewels. And he promises that the way of wisdom will lead to life, to peace, to reward, and to eternal blessing. So let's pray together. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, God, you are so generous to us, and we are so undeserving. God, we, we choose folly over wisdom. Father, we, we run to sin when you offer us mercy and grace. And Father, God, I pray that you would help us to desire your wisdom. God, I pray that you would help us to desire Christ above all, because he is your wisdom. And, and I pray that we would spur one another on toward the goal of, of acquiring your wisdom and growing in your wisdom and your grace and your knowledge. God, I pray that we would turn to you when our hearts are heavy and broken. God, I pray that we would always look to your word for our true comfort and our peace in the midst of our suffering. And God, I pray that you would just um, help us to grow closer to you and closer to one another, and that through our relationships with one another, that we would point one another to you and to your wisdom that helps us to walk in this world where you've placed us for such a time as this. Father, I thank you again for your mercy and your faithfulness, your grace that sustains us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.